Welcome to Board Box Extras. Our goal is to share the best of blockchain gaming with our community, matching great players with great games that they'll love. To learn more about Boardbox and our partners, go to boardbox.io and grab a Boardbox NFT to join our private community of gamers. All right, let's click the start button and get to it. What's up, guys? Happy Friday. Thanks for joining. We're talking about the future of gaming. We've got G-Funk, BGF, Gooseg joining. Thank you guys for, for being here. Uh, quick intro from me. Uh, I go by board these days, board Elon Musk on Twitter. Uh, I spent over 10 years in the video games industry. Uh, I have been talking a lot about gaming in the last two years, especially with the rise of Web3. So I like to hold these spaces with very smart people. Most of them are, are smarter than me because I like to learn. Um, and I really wanted to interview this team uh, from Reboot because they've released some some really cool evil plans, let's call them, for uh, how they're going to change gaming for the better. So I wanted to dig into that and get really nerdy. Um, I'm the co-founder of Boardbox, and uh, we love matching game studios and real players, uh, not just people who like to degen trade NFTs. That's fun. I do it too. But we really want players um, to find the best games. Uh, I do want to note that uh, at Boardbox, we actually launched a store where you can earn points and then trade them in for cool game items. And the, the team here was very generous and uh, hooked us up with some Pixel Vault assets that we're going to have in the store next week. So if you don't follow Boardbox on Twitter, if you don't have an account uh, at boardbox.io, please do create one. We'd love to have you. So that's my shameless shill, and I will stop there. Um, we'd love to introduce the, the team here. Um, so let's go in order. Uh, let's do Goose Egg, VGF, and G-Funk. And you guys um, have a very uh, extensive background and, and, a, and a wide variety of things that you work on. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know you, perhaps it would make the most sense just to hear a bit more about your role and your uh, experience that is most relevant to Reboot. Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, I appreciate everyone showing up. Um, yeah, I'm Goose Eggs. Um, I'm the VP of Gaming and Tokenomics at Pixel Vault. Uh, my background and you know why I'm here is to build Reboot to change kind of the idea of um, and sort of how people approach games from a business standpoint, uh, from a player standpoint, and really just like the industry itself. Uh, my background is you know, I've been, I grew up in the game industry, uh, had family member that worked in developing uh, DirectX at Microsoft, like pretty, pretty uh, prominently so. Uh, so I was around with gaming executives, like I met, you know, basically any gaming executive you might think of, or like influential person kind of in that day of gaming, when I was like, you know, in my formative years. Uh, so that obviously had a big impact on me. Uh, and I opened up opportunities for me. So I was working doing game design and programming at a company called Monolith um, that was acquired by uh, Warner Brothers, ultimately. Uh, developed, designed and developed a bunch of games, uh, concepts. One of them that got you know funded and turned into a AAA title while I was still 18. Uh, I moved on from there to help uh, family members start a company called Wild Tangent, which was kind of um, early days, uh, download, kind of like, reinventing the gaming market at that stage, um, kind of inventing different economic models for games through free-to-play, through ad-supported games, through 
um, freemium. Like we, we basically paid with everything and we got a lot of chance to play, to build all kinds of different games because it wasn't clear what kind of game would work better. Um, I got, uh, after that I worked in, well, I didn't work. I just went to academia, uh, and went kind of on a PhD track with a focus on cryptography and, um, network security, uh, specifically on protocol development. My passion is, you know, as probably is not a surprise, is protocols that allow games to operate in a peer-to-peer way anonymously. Um, so you could secure the game state and, you know, verify that you had a fair play out without having to trust anyone that you're playing with. Uh, so I developed a protocol for that way back in the day. Um, and then kind of as part of that career, I ended up starting a game company which led to another game company, which led to, um, you know, several companies essentially that uh, were a mixture of like casual games. Um, and then we got into casino day games. We build games for big, you know, ad companies and Microsoft and Disney and PopCap and social games and mobile games, and download games, like basically everything, like literally hundreds of games we built uh, through my company. And then we also were a technology company. So we built a lot of infrastructure for social games and casino games, uh, which is what, you know, those companies were acquired for just this past year by a big gambling company um, for for all that work. And so that gave me time to dive back into my passion, which is, you know, figuring out a way to make decentralizing games and decentralizing game business uh, viable and awesome. That's that's a super extensive background, and I'm guessing we've walked by each other at E3 or something at some point, but uh, who knows? Uh, uh, but thanks for that. VGF, how about you? Well, so uh, in relation to gaming, I uh, have been a lifelong gamer. I've gone by VGF, Video Game Freak, for the better part of uh, 20 years now. Uh, it was my original gamer tag on Xbox Live, still have it to this day. Uh, I credit my 13-year-old self for having some branding marketing insight at a young age. Um, but I uh, played uh, high-level high competitively, uh, first, primarily first-person shooters and battle royales. Uh, so really, you know, a gamer at heart. Uh, gaming is what got me into Web3 when, when I wrapped my head around the concept of sovereignly owning digital assets. I was all in. Uh, and my interest in kind of, uh, superheroes, comic books, uh, is what got me attracted to, uh, working with the pixel vault team early on. Uh, and when, with the launch of meta, uh, meta heroes now inhabitants, uh, it's, it's kind of just been the, the kind of magic mix and secret sauce of all of my collective passions and interests, uh, have have coalesced in this one project so uh it's been quite fun uh and i am currently the director of outreach so you'll see me uh working a lot behind the scenes and then of course hopping in and talking about uh all things pv and spaces like this it's awesome thanks man uh g-funk i don't know if you're going to be able to out nerd these guys but uh <laughs> want to do a quick intro as well yeah, I, I will definitely not be able to out-nerd them. Um, I am Sean, a.k.a. G-Funk, CEO, founder of Pixel Vault. <clears throat> it's my job to find gigabrains like VGF and Goose. Um, and really, you know, just, just, just sort of enable 
these subject matter experts that we've managed to collect at at Pixel Vault uh, to do it, what it is that they love, right? Um, and super proud of the fact that I'd say over 30 of our 40 plus employees were hired directly from the community. So like a very Web3 native core, I probably have the least uh, gaming related background, uh, at least in the traditional sense. Uh, you know, I grew up playing sports games, car games, uh, all, all the usual games you would expect of someone that's 36. But uh, over the last, call it 10 years, I would say that I've uh, really sort of specialized in these skill-based games like DraftKings. Um, and I applied a lot of the same uh, sort of game theoretical uh, decision points across the collecting experience at, at Pixel Vault. So really focused on kind of the hobby side and gamifying everything um, and really leaving experts like Goose to do the building. Um, I approached Reboot from sort of a Web3 solve side, whereas Aaron, aka Goose, was solving it from a gaming side. And I just saw that the model right now is broken. Um, the interests of community members do not necessarily align with companies or projects in the space. Um, and furthermore, all these people trying to establish their own tokens, there just is not enough utility, not enough liquidity uh, for it to be a viable path. And yet all of these different communities and collections need to have utility, need to have a way to experience that IP in a fun setting. And so with that, came the culmination of, of the idea behind Reboot. It's, it's very much a thing built for the collective, not a, not a Pixel Vault specific item. We're just you know, helping to incubate it and let it spread, spread its wings and fly, uh, encouraging other developers in Web3 and in traditional gaming to come build with us the, uh, the Unstoppable Arcade. So yeah, very excited to be here and talk about Reboot and our, our gaming white paper, which is dropping today. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Thank you for that. And by the way, I, I love the brand, just this idea of, you know, some people might remember like a physical console sitting below their TV with a reset button or a reboot button and having to press it and click it uh, for everything to <laughs> to fix itself. Um, and you guys use that that idea, um, you know, just to talk about sort of like the next, you know, version of, of gaming. Um, we don't really have that button anymore. So like you're uh, you're giving it a, a strong symbolic meaning with the, with the branding of the company. So I really love it. But um, yeah, before we, we jump into the meat of things, um, maybe we can, we can start at a high level at this idea of centralization. And you guys kind of kicked off the white paper with that. Um, so brief history for anyone, you know, who is less familiar with like the last 20 or 30 years, um, gaming has been really centralized. It started off with, you know, physical arcades. You go to a place, there are boxes with screens and you play them, you put quarters or whatever tokens in them. Uh, and that was highly controlled. Then it shifts to home consoles and you can buy physical, you know, cartridges or, or CDs, uh, and you play games on, on, on those consoles. Uh, and unless you have something like an emulator, there's very little control that, you know, you have as a player, um, when it comes to, to gaming, uh, you just enjoy it. Uh, that shifts to at home and mobile digital distribution, right? So instead of having these physical things that you, you have games on, uh, you download files and, and that's become the norm. And you have things like Steam and PlayStation Network and Epic Game Store, which are now sort of these big aggregators. Um, and it's, 
it's essentially uh, centralized. They are kingmakers. They are the place that uh, you go to get your games. Um, the pros, it's very easy to find games in one place. There's a social network of people all together with leaderboards, all that good stuff. And if you're less tech savvy, um, you know, having these types of centralized platforms can be helpful. But you guys talk a lot about, you know, this, the, the current system of gaming being broken, right? So there are cons to this, this form of centralization. So we'd love to hear from you, um, you know, what, what is broken, you know, at a high level and, can you kind of touch on, you know, what you guys want to attack and, and what you want to see change in terms of moving away from centralization? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think you you basically hit all the points. You know, I, I think just the, the fact that there are kingmakers um, and the fact that most developers, almost all developers are held hostage by, you know, used to be publishers, right? These box stores or Walmart, like, you got to make a game that doesn't offend, I don't know, whoever the CEO is, because, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to make games ever. Um, you know, that hasn't really changed, right? That hasn't changed with the, you know, Steam, it hasn't changed on the Apple Store, hasn't changed on consoles. Uh, so developers are really tied, their hands are tied in terms of the kinds of games they, they can make, um, the kinds of ideas they can have, the kinds of ideas or types of games that get promoted. Um, and, you know, and because... And, you know, from the other side of other side of the fence, the players uh, part of, you know, the reason why these um, platforms get this kind of dominance is they they do everything they can to trap the players and make that experience too good to pass up so that they can aggregate the audience. They can aggregate the eyeballs. But really, they're treating the audience like sheep. Right. It's just like, oh, here's here's shiny things. You know, don't look anywhere else. And meanwhile, you know, they get to take huge fees off the table, charge high, high costs, like, you know, the cost by taking fees, it increases the cost of gameplay for the players, uh, reduces the quality. Uh, and it also makes the developers resort to sort of like dark pattern, money grabby type techniques to sort of trick people into playing, like bought through the game, tricking people to pay the money because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to survive under those uh, under those rules. Um, and, you know, you've seen that even the biggest game companies, um, they push back against the platforms as best they can. But, you know, it's it's too hard. Right. It's there's there's just having a monopoly is so powerful. And so um with the idea behind reboot is like to think about those incentives a little differently and to think about the participants a little differently and recognize that, Hey, you know, players aren't cheap. They bring a lot to the platform, right? It's not just their money. It's not just their eyeballs. It's their, you know, social connections. It's all the streaming that gets done these days. It's, you know, fandoms, it's like buying mer merchandise, it's writing tutorials, it's, you know, going to going to esports events. Like, so fans are essentially the engine for anything that's game and they're valuable, right? The platforms recognize that. And, you know, Reboot is designed to like, hey, you know, let's give them a piece of the action, right? And in doing so, um, let's actually think about the whole model and see if we can give everyone kind of an equal equal chance at participating and, and creating that value and uh, enjoying that value. And so that was sort of the starting point. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it led to, you know, kind of a lot of the concepts that you'll find in the, in the protocol document itself is that um, we built this system that allows the value to get spread. And the proportion to which you get the value is in proportion to 
um, what you put into the system. Uh, and there's no centralized actor. There's no there's no bully taking your lunch money or anything like that uh, or preventing you from playing on the swing set. It's just everything's open. Everyone gets a piece of the action. Uh, and, you know, we believe that what that will do, you know, kind of like in a similar arcade scenario, like which is why we use that setup, um, the market will solve for fun. The market will solve for, you know, the pricing of everything so that it's fair and everyone, you know, is giving as much as they're they're taking off the table in you know, equal measure based on the value that they're bringing. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the problems that we see and sort of how, how we're thinking about solving them. Yeah, and I'd like to drill in on, on one point there from a sort of Web3 um, project uh, standpoint. Uh, again, touching on the tokens and the alignment of incentives um, by having a singular token on Reboot where uh, the developer is, uh, is receiving uh, their revenue in this token. They're incentivized to want to create the best games because money is not being taken off the table by these intermediaries. And then the community, the players themselves, are, are also receiving this token based on their gameplay. They're able to act in sort of the underlying uh, mechanisms that, um, that govern the game and the protocol itself. So where it would previously just be all controlled by the game developer, the community can actually participate, uh, provide rewards, liquidity, and earn fees, uh, decentralized uh, validation, and earn fees, and then of course, the skill-based gameplay, which I think um, is really the future of what Web3 Gaming is, not this grinding type model that uh, we saw sort of proliferate during the last bull run. Um, and so it really aligns those that are bringing value uh, to the ecosystem, the developers and the players themselves. And uh, that's all uh, able to be accomplished by virtue of cutting out that intermediary that's taking, you know, 30 cents on the dollar. Yeah. I mean, just to that point, the, the part that really has frustrated me and, um, and I think you guys are trying to address this is those intermediaries like Activision Blizzard, for example, just one company, it's a very big company, but in 2022, they spent $882 million on advertising for user acquisition. So that money doesn't go back to making the game better and it doesn't go back to the players. That just goes to Facebook ads and TV spots and paid media companies. Um, so who wins there, right? We, <laughs> and so when people ask the question of like, if we're gonna talk about players having value, where, where does that money come from? Where does that value come from? Well, there's big chunks of money already being wasted on middlemen that don't need to exist. So I, I love the premise you guys are, are coming to with this uh, VGF, over to you. Uh, well, talking about the, the user acquisition, um, We've seen largely over the last, you know, number of years, uh, the growth in popularity of viewing of games. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion around uh, the developer and player as as a consumer uh, and how that model is is broken. Uh, but this uh, design with Reboot really takes into account the value that content creators uh, and things like esports can really provide to the ecosystem. Uh, so, talking to uh, user acquisition, uh, there there is an actual driver in Reboot uh, for affiliates, uh, where you can actually be incentivized and rewarded uh, as a content creator, as a influencer, as 
you know, someone that is notable in the gaming space that can actually drive traffic uh, to align those incentives, you know, like in esports or streaming, uh, if you're not being propped up by sponsorships or, you know, subscribers and your own supporters, there's very little by means of being able to monetize that sustainably. Uh, and having been uh, <laughs> privileged enough to have experienced being a quote unquote professional gamer for a number of years, um, it's, it's incredibly difficult if you're not in the 0.0001% of the top gamers in the top games that just so happen to have the prize pools to, uh, you know, be able to make a, a respectable living from this, uh, then you're reliant on all of these other factors. And so Reboot does have an affiliate program to where uh, people can be incentivized and rewarded for the traffic they drive to support the protocol. It really brings those, uh, you know, content creators uh, and, and puts them to the forefront of valuing them as, as a contributor to the entire ecosystem rather than an afterthought. Yeah, no, that, that, that's huge. Um, and, I, and I love transferring the responsibility of promoting games and acquiring users to the players themselves versus these, uh, these third parties. And in doing so, you know, providing people, creators with a, with a w way to actually uh, make a living. It's great. So um, I spent time going through the white paper. It definitely is complicated, and I appreciate that because it's a really tough challenge you're taking on. And I think that you know showing your work is is really critical. So um, one of you, I can't remember who it was, but earlier this week tweeted something to the effect of, "You don't need to know how a plane works in order to benefit from flying in one." And I really like that sentiment because you know people are going to maybe poke holes or be confused by the infrastructure you're building, but what you're saying is it doesn't really matter. You're just going to, you know, enjoy the, the benefits of it. So I'm curious, like, what is the most complicated or difficult thing to understand about Reboot? And can you explain it to us like we're five years old? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll take a step. That was mine. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously I like, I like complication. Um, I mean, not, not to be complicated, but, you know, I think there's beauty in it and, you know, you can create a lot of value. I mean, that's always been true in terms of like the things that um, explaining kind of like whatever this, the most complicated thing and the hardest thing that I think to understand, um, like in the terms of a five-year-old, I was thinking about this and like, really, it's just, it's pretty simple. And most five-year-olds honestly already know it is, you know, games are more fun if everyone can play and everyone can participate. Right. And so the idea here is to build a playground where that's the case. That's the only kind of game you can have is one that everyone gets to choose what they want to play based on if they like it or not. There's no one, you know, like I said, like taking your lunch money or preventing you from using certain parts of it unless you pay them a fee. Um, it's just free. It's open or it's not free, but it's open, um, open access. And, you know, sort of like the best games have the best chances. Um, but you know, everyone, everyone gets to participate and everyone gets to play and it's fair. Well, and speaking a little bit to the, it's not free. Um, can you touch on the, the on chain kind of, tr uh, chain of value? Uh, because I feel like, uh, in my discussions this last week, that part has kind of been, uh, maybe a little, uh, more nuanced, mm -hmm. uh, and not highlighted as thoroughly. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and so to that end, the idea 
I mean, there is like a lot of complication around how that chain of value is, you know, proven. But the idea there is, you know, when someone when someone decides they want to pay for a game, you know, that you should be able to see where that money goes. Right. And like what part of it is going to watch things and how much am I getting out of it? What is the value uh, and being able to measurably under measurably understand you know, the top games, like exactly kind of as you were, you were mentioning earlier, like where, you know, why is that money getting spent? Where is it going? Uh, And so this proof of play is essentially, you know, essentially ties that from the point of purchase through to the point of, you know, providing liquidity for the prizes, the matches, who you're getting matched up against, and even down to like literally the presses of the button that you make to, um, finalize you know what the result of the game how it gets validated and it all gets bundled up without any pretty any centralized actor kind of dipping their fingers in uh, and it's clear at every step of the way who gets paid for what and why um and so you know it's the ideas in in visibility in disclosure you create fairness and you create a more balanced marketplace for games yeah and i and i I do love the sentiment of just you know, a game needs as many people to play as possible. Um, every game designer wants every player on earth to try their game. Uh, and it's a little bit different than what we've gotten used to in the last two years uh, in Web3 around the idea of scarcity, right? Like scarcity means a limit. Um, a, a game, though, is more fun with more people. And so that's a bit of a, of, of a shift in, in mindset that I think we're all going to get used to. And you can still have scarcity in abundance, right? Like there's rare stuff amongst um, all the... Uh, the access that people have, but uh, I think that's just a really important point that you made, Guzeg. And just a, a you know a good segue um, to fairness that you mentioned. Uh, cheating has been a pretty hot topic in the last few weeks in video games, and you see you see it in a lot of places. You even see it in Champion Chess with uh, accusations of you know people hiding stuff <laughs> in their nether regions to to, to cheat. So. How are you guys approaching that? Like the the idea of of cheating in in traditional gaming has been, um, you know, uh, probably lower stakes if you're if you're outside the world of esports. Um, but if there's money at stake, if there's prize pools at stake, um, and you're not having competitions live, you know, at a at a, at a stadium, um, people are going to be extremely um, concerned, right, about fairness. So. Yeah, how how are you guys, you know, looking at managing that, especially when every game is different um, and people are constantly thinking of ways to break the system? Right. Um, so yeah, I uh, I spent a lot of time in my life thinking about this, and um, I would say like reboot. Like we're not seeking to completely solve cheating. That's not the plan. Um, although. Uh, as you know, as, assuming we get some, we get the traction that we think we're going to get with the protocol. Um, you know, we're going to be experimenting with some methods uh, for, you know, making cheating, you know, make ensuring more share and fairness uh, at some of the kind of harder nooks and crannies of fairness. But um, kind of as a first salvo, the protocol itself um, keeps track of, uh, you know, this this kind of uh, statistical rank around players. Um, and so the really idea is making sure you're like, fine, you're playing with a bot, fine, you're cheating, fine, you're, I don't know, using an, uh, some kind of clicker, aimer or whatever. Uh, we can at least statistically measure that, right? And we can check what lane that you're playing in. And it's like, okay, 
you know, VGF with an aimbot, you know, you're this is the rank that you're in, and you find you get to play with other people that are playing with rank aimbots at least, and at least the stakes that you're playing at, and you know, whatever you know, whatever provisions you're making for yourself within the game that you think are okay, you'll most likely be playing against folks that are either doing the same thing or can give you, um, you know, give you your money's worth even if you are cheating by virtue of this um, statistical ranking system. Uh, and so that gets us a lot of the way there uh, in my mind. Like, so again, like I, I think of cheating is more of a, uh, like a game theory and an economic problem. And so that's, that's sort of the reboots approach that we're, we're, we're going to be testing is, you know, as part of this statistical model for ranks, we can tell how divergent you are, like how inconsistent you play, how close, how tight, how tight a bound can we draw around that swim lane that you're in? And the tighter the bound that we can draw, the more money that you make, or sorry, I shouldn't say that, but the more rewards that you stand to gain. And as the protocol gets more uncertain, which we can sample, you know, we'll know every single game, how you perform and, you know, where you are in that range, um, the rewards get worse as you diverge. Um, and so we're going to be trying to address some of the problems related to cheating or exploits using this kind of, um, it's just from the metagame standpoint, it's just a bad strategy to play with cheating or pay, play inconsistently or smurf your rank or sandbag or any of that stuff. Um, because the part of this, you know, it's hard to hide, but you can't hide from that math and you'll just get less for doing those things. <laughs> well, and uh, Goose, you had used this example earlier this week. Um, one thing that just comes to my mind, like in, in addition to uh, players being most incentivized to playing towards their, their truly converged ranking, uh, it almost reminds me of like the metaphor of the Olympics with steroids. Just like take all the chains off. Bot versus bot may the best bot win. Like if the bots end up uh, farming each other, um, I, I think that would be almost like a hilarious outcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that we have battle bots of the bots. Yeah. Why? What? Yeah. I mean, that to me that sounds like a fun game. It's like okay, now now the protocol supports people trying to make the best bots. Great. No, I, I love that. I was thinking of the same analogy of just like all robot Olympics or all drugs are are legal Olympics. Uh, as long as you are playing against or competing against the same, uh, that works. That works for me. And in a way, by saying, "Hey, it's actually okay," and you know, here's the venue for you to do it. It sounds like you're, you know, gonna basically encourage it to not <laughs> to, to, to dis disincentivize people to do it. And I love I love using math and, and AI and ML to basically figure out who is, you know, playing in a divergent way. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's probably impossible to be a hundred percent foolproof, but I think your strategy uh, makes a lot of sense and I'll, I'll be very curious to watch it. Um, well, and kind of nerding out for a second to those, like from the gamer side of things, for those that are familiar with like ELO, uh, as far as like a player ranking system goes, uh, this Glico rating is essentially that, but also factoring in that standard deviation of consistency of play. So it, it can actually uh, determine how confident it is in your player score. So if you have one exceptional game, um, it's going to consider that an outlier to your normal, your normal rating. And uh, it's, it's really interesting like if somebody is performing at an exceptionally high level consistently, 
uh, they will have a, a ridiculously high score, right? Um, but that's that's where it gets uh, really interesting in, in the matchmaking is because uh, essentially it, it, it's not only giving you a, a player rating, but also a standard deviation of how confident it is based on the consistency of your level of play. Uh, and that's that's very different than what you see in a lot of uh, these kind of fudd or like fuddy numbers kind of uh, skill based matchmaking because uh, there's a lot of games even even like my personal favorite like Apex uh, where they turn even the skill skill based matchmaking itself into sort of a meta game where they'll target uh, who you're playing against to try and have you winning a percentage of like your matches. Um, so it's, it's, to me, that's like kind of one of the nerdier, more interesting components of this, uh, because I, I want to be competitive. I really want to play at a high level and play to the best of my ability. And this basically, uh, is, is driving towards getting me the closest to being able to do that and rewarding me more for playing as close to the high level as consistently as I can. Yeah, I mean, personally, the other thing that I really love is that certain game genres, um, especially ones that rely on Twitch reflexes, so Call of Duty, Apex, etc., um, become harder for, for certain people or just are hard for certain people. Like, I don't like playing uh, first-person shooters because I'm just not good at them. I, I spawn and they get headshot in three seconds. But if I'm in a league where everybody's playing with, with bots, then essentially it becomes a strategy game. It becomes age of empires or Starcraft and less of an actual, you know, reflex based game. And then it makes me want to play that game. So again, as, as long as all things are equal in terms of fairness, I think this is really interesting to opening to opening up certain game genres to people who don't like them as much. Um, so yeah, we, we, we went really down the rabbit hole here and I appreciate it. Um, when kind of a business question. So when you, when you look at the history of platforms like steam, um, you have sort of a chicken and egg problem, um, for context, um, for anyone who doesn't know the origins of, of, of steam, um, it was created by a company called valve valve produced a, a very popular game called half-life and went on to build something called counter-strike. And essentially they built steam as like a launcher as a really easy way to update, uh, that game. So you didn't have to re-download it over and over and patch it. Um, and eventually, you know, it got so big that they could basically use Steam to start selling other people's games. But in that scenario, um, they brought millions of people to Steam because they already had a hit game. And, you know, as you guys are thinking about, you know, what you're building and that in a similar sort of, you know, chicken and egg issue where you have to jumpstart the use of reboot, what, you know, what strategies are you thinking about? Are you leaning on, you know, your existing Pixel Vault community um, how are you thinking about kind of bringing both game developers and eventually players, uh, you know, to, to the ecosystem that you're building? Goose, you want to lead with the gaming? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll let Sean talk about the community because I think that is a novel, mm -hmm. you know, huge novel advantage and kind of interesting way that we're working. But from the game standpoint, I mean, um, we've been talking to some gaming executives basically and you know especially in the esports like they're happy with um 99 of the players you know just playing the game for you know quote-unquote fun and not having any chance you know but it's you know having these aspirational esports contests and like 
telling telling people that they can be you know they can live a life playing games and you know make a living off of that um and that they're happy with that world um so i think players are really stand up because i know you know i know enough players to know that people that complain those games they take them very seriously and if they could if it was their choice they would spend as much time as they could they would try and make a living off of it for you know some segment of them uh but that opportunity doesn't exist um until you get like you know you either have sponsorship you're rich already or um you know you you have go down some lucky path uh so i think from the standpoint of the player um this kind of platform makes a really easy on-ramp into um playing games of skill in a way that can, you know, turn into your day job or if that's what you want uh, or your lifestyle Um, or, you know, I I love games, but my favorite games are games that have risk, especially games that have, you know, risk of losing things. I used to play almost any board game, any like parlor game for money, just because all of a sudden cribbage becomes a much more interesting game when you're playing a dollar a hole, uh, obviously poker, um, and so I think that same extra element of, you know, risk and loss and pushing your luck um, is missing from a lot of games when it has tangible value. Uh, so I think, you know, people that can just play the games that they're used to playing, but with that extra element, it all of a sudden changes the game. And then for developers, you know, I think it's actually pretty easy Um the model for them sucks right now. Uh, games have become really, I don't want to say easy to make, but the tools for them are really good. And so it means, like, it's great. There's all these new entrants into the game development space, but the channels are narrow, right? And the, the winners have already been chosen, uh, which means, you know, as a developer, like me, I remember starting out like, hey, I can make games, ha, ha, ha. Um, I actually had a really fortunate path, but most people, you know, that's not the case. Um, you know, it's, it's a struggle to try and make games. And even if you have a good game, like God forbid you have a good game and you just literally can't sell it because, um, you know, you don't have the business acumen, you don't know, you know, who to talk to, or it's not big enough or it doesn't fit the mold. Um, a lot of the channels for that are, you know, don't exist or are very tiny, uh, in this model, it's really the market that will choose, right? If you can find a fan for your game, if you can find players that are interested, um, if it's fun, um, it's, you know, it's essentially like, Hey, you know, this, this game appeared in the arcade one day and all the quarters attracting all the quarters, you know, just cause it's purely awesome. Um, so that's, you know, in terms of like user adoption, you know, those are our big factors and I'll let VGF talk a little bit more about the streamer. Cause I think that's, you know, a shoe in and then, you know, chief on once you talk about the community a little bit. Yeah. So one thing that you touched on there that I think is worth highlighting is, uh, talking about players wanting to play for a living, right? Uh, that's not to say that this is akin to the, you know, buzzwordy play to earn type uh, model here. This is play to win. Uh, to me, it's a very different uh, concept from the the kind of grinding to earn, you know, whatever token in with the desire to offload it and, uh, you know, turn that into dollars. This is putting something up at stake and based on your risk tolerance, your skill, uh, being able to be rewarded for that, for your contribution to the ecosystem, uh, your ability to drive traffic. uh, And naturally there will be some people that don't necessarily want to monetize it, 
uh, and just want to show up and play a game. Uh, and that's, that's perfectly fine in this model too. There will be those people that don't necessarily want to offload all of their rewards, uh, sell them on a, on a marketplace and, and take that as revenue, but are willing to pay for a game, uh, get the, like put their quarter in, get their tickets out and then go to the storefront and, and get their prizes. And this kind of bundles all of those into one system uh, to where those that want to monetize are able to, and based on, you know, their risk tolerance, their, uh, their, their appetite uh, and their skill may be able to be uh, disproportionately rewarded. Uh, But that's not to say that people that just want to play a fun game uh, aren't able to do so. And with, with kind of that economic model that uh, Goose was talking about, I think that really drives uh, developers to wanting to bring the best games here. It's like you want to have the arcade game that is the most popular in the arcade. Uh, and so it, it really kind of raises the bar for uh, the caliber of games that we can come to expect. And I, I think we're looking forward to having on, on Reboot. Yeah, and then from a community perspective, we have this unique opportunity by virtue of having this large, loyal, uh, native uh, Web3 community that has been very much waiting to be empowered with characters that they've you know, collected and, and grown to love and now get to experience them in the form of a game, right? which, is much, which is much more compelling than just collecting alone which was an original problem that I was trying to solve when launching Pixel Vault is, you know, how do we make collecting an active experience? And so uh, what I said at the top about aligning incentives, this community is, is very much going to be seeding uh, the protocol itself. So people that have, uh, you know, been in the space and taken the time to, to understand the basic principles, um, you know, surrounding really blockchain technology in general, uh, the concept of leveling the playing field, decentralization, et cetera, uh, by virtue of aligning ourselves under one singular, call it quote unquote economy, um, everybody is incentivized to help this ecosystem grow. And so um, it's pretty unique for, for a new game and a new IP to have an audience coming in, but uh, we're lucky enough to be in that position and certainly want to be creating um, a tool, this this common set of rules where others can build upon the, um, the facts are known when you're entering a game under this particular set of rules. And it should make it much easier for, for people to understand the value proposition uh, in NFTs and blockchain tech in particular. Um, and hopefully provide for that next leg up in terms of onboarding mass audiences. Yeah, I, I appreciate the the transparency you guys laid out in the white paper and, you know, just talking through it here. Um, we talked earlier about the excessive fees that a lot of marketplaces charge game developers. And it, it has, you know, for the last few years been 30% uh, Epic's pushing that, that number lower, but nonetheless, um, these are a price. These fees basically get translated over to players, right? Because if a studio has to absorb them, then 
they have to make that money back from the from the players who are playing their game, whether that's through initial purchase of the game or in-app, you know, purchases and other forms of monetization. But you know, from a business standpoint, it is going to cost you guys uh, something, right? To to build this system out, to make money. Um, so how, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you're going to monetize and, you know, what is sort of uh, reboots cut of the, uh, of the overall ecosystem and the economy? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we're going to make good games. So, I mean, uh, like in the same way that, um, Valve, you know, they did pretty good on steam just because their games are the first ones on it. Uh, we think about it uh, in a lot of the same way. Uh, we don't we don't want to give ourselves any kind of you know leg up or extra advantage. the The purpose in mind is to really create, change how games are built, change how they're monetized, and we think that just just by virtue of um, kind of like this incumbent syndrome that the game industry has, and kind of like honestly, like um, they're a little bit they think they've already won, honestly. Uh, and they don't think that there's the way, uh, uh, you know, there's an innovation that can unseat them. Um, I think that we're going to have um, a good a good run where we'll be able to build, you know, on this platform, show people how to do it, bring bring, bring more developers on, and the benefits are going to come from that, um, probably in a lot of different directions, um, and obviously like fostering these communities, which we already understand. Um, you know, a lot about how they work and, you know, what the value they can bring. Um, I think that gives us, puts us in, you know, kind of the catbird seat for, you know, being the leaders in this new space. And I, I respect you wanting to be the leader. Do you think it's okay if the future means there's going to be a hundred reboots competing for, for the same thing you guys are doing instead of there being like, you know, five centralized platforms? Does everybody get to survive in that scenario? Um, no, not, not everyone survives. And I love that idea. I mean, the, um, you know, what, what we're trying to do here is honestly level the playing field. Like it's not, um, we don't, we don't necessarily want any particular advantage. Um, like I said, we we're giving ourselves a head start, obviously. Um, and I think that that will come with a lot of natural advantages, but, um, you know, we think that this web three way, this decentralized way of making and monetizing games, um, is going to change change how it's done for forever. Um, so that we're more interested in that future than anything else. And I'll, I'll add to that. Um, there is incentive in joining, say, an existing instance of Reboot, right? Uh, the hardest thing to capture is audience. And so if you're a game developer that believes in their game, you know, why do you need to go create your own walled garden when you can join a massive, massive collection of people who are all holding a singular token that can easily be transferred between games. And then it's really best game wins. Uh, there's no one holding you back other than yourself. Um, and so I think by virtue of this concept of winning together, growing audience together, and it being better for everyone on the platform, both players and developers, that the likelihood of a you know 10,000 protocol scenario is, is small because it, it creates further friction uh, for the user experience. And so, sure, you'll likely see some of the incumbents try and uh, live in that realm for as long as they can. But I think the writing is on the wall from a long-term perspective that this is the direction it's clearly going. Uh, people, especially in the younger generation, want to be 
uh, want their time to be valued. If you're bringing value to something, you should be getting some value back uh, and working together to accomplish that, I think, uh, will yield the greatest results. Well, and I'm not so naive to think that there won't be game developers that take some of uh, Goose and Team's brilliant ideas and try and, uh, you know, uh, use it for their own for their own ecosystems. Um, part of it being protocolized uh, is that uh, there will almost inevitably be some people that take these and try and implement them into their own games. But the the benefit to building uh, on this instance of Reboot rather than kind of, quote-unquote, spinning up their own, uh, as, as kind of G-Funk highlighted, uh, whether it be the, the audience that's already there, uh, the community that's already using the token, the increased uh, liquidity for the rewards providers and for these kind of small indie uh, or smaller projects to be able to come in and capitalize on that as well. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to uh, building a bigger arcade rather than a lot of individual arcades with fewer games in them. Yeah. And I'll just tack on one thing is just, uh, I mean, I think the, at least for me, the way that I think about it is like, there's no, uh, an open free market is, and if it's decentralized, it's always going to be uh, more liquid, more viable, That especially one that distributes um, sort of the value around uh it's going to be hard for any centralized um, anyone that wants to kind of own that or like have a monopoly on that to beat that by creating a monopoly uh and so that's that's a little bit of the you know business game theory is just you know, like hey actually uh game marketplaces are just part of the universe now everyone has to deal with it and restructure their business model around that yeah, love that. And I think the arcade mechanic you guys have laid out is is a good uh, place to, to end the discussion and just, you know, dive in because it's a bit of a, a meteor topic. But um, yeah, I, I love the idea of the inefficiency of a physical arcade where you have thousands of them around the, the world and, you know, people have to go to them versus one arcade that everyone can go to an infinite amount of times. So, you know, based on based on my understanding of what you laid out in the white paper, um, you're using the arcade as as a metaphor, but if you if you think back to those olden times, um, you know you, you go to an arcade, you have tokens to play the games. If you're good, you win a lot of prize tickets. Then you take those tickets and you trade them in at the counter. Uh, it's kind of at, you know if anyone knows what Chuck E. Cheese is, um, and and basically uh, you know you put your time into playing that game, and and in the end you you get sort of a shitty prize. Like let's be honest, unless you're really good or you've been saving tickets for a very long time, you're not getting a, a super good prize. Um, there's a lot of inefficiency in that in that model because the arcade itself has to pay for all the the staff, the machines, the the food, um, you know, cleaning up the uh, the vomit from the rides, whatever it is, right? So a lot of money goes to all these things that don't necessarily make the games better. Um, you guys are stripping all that away in this idea of, of the arcade. Is is that a fair interpretation of what you're building in terms of like driving more value back to the player? And then the harder question is, and this is what, you know, a lot of us have been arguing over for, for years now is how do you prevent that system from naturally attracting too many people who are there to get more tickets, you know, AKA more value money, whatever, um, instead of those that are, that are there just to play for fun. And it's okay for both to exist, but the ratio feels like it needs to be in proportion. So curious how you guys are thinking about that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that is that is a very appropriate model. And that's that's how I think of it as well as like a truly efficient market. The, the efficiency of a marketplace applied to the arcade concept is exactly but without all the other craft because, uh, you know, there's no toilets, toilets to plunge and reboot. Um, in terms of, you know, what I think you're getting at is like, oh, a game developer wants to come. And I mean, this happens a lot in like the casino space which, you know, I think is a valid strategy is like, hey, come to our casino. We've got the loosest slots. Um, that's a business call that that casino's making or, you know, that arcade's making is like print is double tickets day or whatever. Um, and, you know, that the, you know, what's wrong with that? Um, so Reboot, it has a full, it, it's, it's got like a, a, you know, full economy built into it. There's one token that everything is mapped to, right? So credits are denominated in it, the rewards are denominated in it, the NFTs that we give out for in-game items are denominated and collateralized by it. Uh, <clears throat> and so if you want to take that strategy and like loosen up your rewards, you not only have to recruit, you know, your rewards providers or provide the rewards yourself, um, and, you know, obviously get the players involved and interested like that, that will be an economic choice that you're making as a game developer or as a game community to attract, you know, a attract players to your community and it reboot allows it. It's a totally valid way to get user acquisition. The, it doesn't save you from the costs of that model um, if you want to go for it. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's all good, right? If people are having fun. Uh, the economics supports it. Love it. Well, I will say um, I spend every week talking to game studios and people in the games industry for hours and hours. I have a very good nose for who is full of it and who knows their shit. And you guys are are very legit. And I think anybody who's been listening for the last hour understands that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Uh, I know it's early days, but I think you've you've laid out uh, a really smart strategy and built a team that can can pull it off. Um, so just to kind of close things out, thank you guys so much for being here today, talking on Friday. Thank you everybody who, who tuned in. Um, I'm, I'm really pumped to hear more. So before we close things out, uh, can you share, you know, what's coming next to the next, you know, say 30, 60 days, where should people be paying attention? How can people participate? Yeah. So I'll, I'll lead off with that. Um, we have the game white paper coming out today. Obviously, the reboot white paper dropped uh, know, a week or two ago now. Um, and then we'll be launching uh, the game and the protocol uh, in May sometime. So you'll be seeing a lot more detailed information of what it means for uh, you know current Pixel Vault collectors and how you, maybe an outside participant that wants to build on the protocol, how that might make sense for you, your community, or maybe you're just an indie game developer. Uh, those details will be coming out over the next two months. Obviously, you have to uh, uh, be careful from a regulatory perspective as we prepare to launch the protocol. But um, yeah, very exciting stuff ahead. Uh, really looking forward to the next steps. And um, 2022 was a tough time in the markets for pretty much everyone. And it was a tough time for Pixel Vault. And so it'll be nice to be uh, back and aligned with with our community and I think really driving towards a, uh, a great outcome for the space as a whole. 
Well, and, and just despite uh, the last few days, I think 2023 is going to be pretty okay, uh, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it. Um, that's awesome. And, and, and in all seriousness, um, a small team and I have been building out a racing game, and I think we should be we should chat soon about perhaps implementing the tools that you're building because we don't want to. Uh, so if somebody else can do that, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, thank thank you guys, uh, G Funk, VGF, Guzeg. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Uh, make sure to follow Reboot GG one underscore. Don't make the mistake I did when tweeting about um, this space. It's one underscore uh, to get updates. <laughs> I think uh, I think we're shadow banned because it's almost impossible to tag right now. I think because the uh, the handle was started and immediately got an influx of followers that uh, other Elon uh, might have shadow banned us. So I'm I'm the oh, good one. Yeah, I apologize for being You're so bold. I, I did pin uh, the real one up to the top of the space. Uh, I know it can be quite confusing because if you just search reboot. Unfortunately, the non-shadow banned impersonating account is is not yet banned. So uh, please do follow the official Reboot GG pinned to the top of the space. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure the uh, the traditional gaming companies have colluded to make sure that uh, you guys got shadow banned because they're scared of what you're building. Uh, that's that's the story we're going with. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks all. We're, we're hitting the top of the hour. This has been awesome. Uh, please do check out reboot, uh, GG underscore. Um, please do check out board box as well. Join our community. We're pretty cool too. Um, and, and yeah, guys, thanks so much again for, for joining today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. All right. Bye. Thanks Ward. Thanks Thanks. everybody. For listening to this board box extra. Please note that none of what was discussed in this episode today should be taken as financial or investment advice. We are excited to share this content and encourage everyone to do their own research. Looking to go deeper, get more access? Join us at boardbox.io and grab a boardbox NFT to join our private community of gamers. Thank you.